Welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Sayo Nickerson. We hope that you will join Brandon, Victoria, and I as we aim to make sense of the past, age-old mysteries, and historical figures through mediumship, where we chat with beings or spirits on the other side who have a story to tell. We never know where it's going to go, and we hope that you will come along for the ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. We just had an interview, which you're about to hear, uh, with Dr. Mengele, one of the main doctors in the concentration camps and is the one who performed all kinds of experiments and stuff on people and killed many, many, many people. We did learn a lot about, you know, what happens after you die? What's the process? How is it different for someone who has committed atrocities in their life? There's a lot of information there, actually. Yeah. And uh, it's an extremely interesting interview. It was hard not to be angry at the guy. Yeah. We learn a lot about sort of the energy on the other side and, you know, unconditional love and how that would play out in a situation like this. So, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to say. I think um, I think we do talk in the podcast about, you know, who he was exactly, what kind of things he did. I hope you guys find this one interesting, just like we did. Yeah. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast. We're, we're kind of taking a different tack this week in that we're, go- we're curious about looking at how someone who's done not so great things during their life on Earth, how that all gets processed or what happens. Is it, you know, what do they go through once they're on the other side? So that's kind of like the purpose of today's um, interview. And so for this, we've selected a few different people, and you might be interested to go check out, that have done um, afterlife interviews with Hitler. So that's kind of an obvious one, and there's some really interesting interviews with Hitler's soul and spirit. Um, So maybe look that up. So we thought we would try someone different, and we've chosen to do Doctor of Death. Um, I think that was his nickname, Dr. Joseph Mengele. He was the chief doctor in the death camps, especially at uh, Birkenau and Auschwitz, and conducted tons and tons of experiments on Jewish people, on dwarves, on twins, on pregnant people. He's responsible for many people dying. So we're just going to see kind of how that all plays out with what Victoria does and go from there. I guess the only other thing I would say is that apparently during his lifetime, he never showed any remorse after the war. He, they had like an underground railroad for Nazis to escape out of Europe. And so he used that. And I think he finally, he was in hiding for a long time. He got out of Europe in 1949 and then went to South America and basically lived another 30 years. Um, and kind of every now and then having to move, changing his name, all the stuff. And he, he was never captured. He died of natural causes. I think he had a stroke while he was swimming in Brazil or something like that. Um, yeah, and, and he had a son uh, named Rolf. And I meant to look more into him. And, but he said that his father never showed any remorse for any of his wartime activities. So he did live a full life here never questioning what he did. So it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. what comes out on the other side. So that's kind of the, the brief overview. Um, yeah, and we'll see what else comes up. And what I've seen so far from working with people on the other side is that you can't avoid doing the work there as much as you might want to. And the healing process can take a long time. And spirits do feel things such as guilt or remorse, shame. And I just think it'll be interesting to speak to someone who clearly showed no remorse in their life and whether they do actually feel it now and and what the process looks like of someone who's done terrible things in the afterlife. Hmm. And what, I mean, I'd be interested, what is like your experience? Because you're saying so what you've seen or what you've heard. So what, Mm -hmm. can you give some examples just for curiosity or for what the process is. Yeah. Like what you've ascertained from speaking to other people on the other side. I've seen a lot of, 
the people that come through, say someone goes for, this is just, you know, a regular person, like someone's dad or whatever, um, their child may go for a lot of readings and they know that they've, they've harmed them in this life or hurt them, but they haven't heard any acknowledgement from them of those behaviours. And it could take like 10 readings for them to finally be in the space to say, I'm really sorry. Really? Yeah. Huh. And I also think that's for the person who's still alive as well. Like some people aren't ready to receive that apology. Um, so I do, I do feel like it's all perfect timing, but it, it does, it does take time and there is a process, but spirits on the other side. And I know people say time doesn't exist there. I guess it's different to how it is here, but it could take like, I don't know, for someone who's done that many terrible things, maybe it could take hundreds of earth years before they fully work through everything they did and had to, to face all of that. Or maybe it could take one earth year. Hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When I asked my near-death experience friend what she was told about Hitler and the time after his death, she said that he was essentially put into, and she's, she's saying this in heavenly terms, essentially put into a palace with a lot of guides and a lot of angels and uh, was pretty much put into meditation for, and she said, a very long time. So it kind of correlates to what you're saying, the time factor. And, and beyond the veil, time's completely different, if there is any time. So I don't know what that really means. Because she says angel time, she says like 20, second, or 20, 20 years for angels are just like that. Interesting. Okay, well, let's see. Okay. Just gonna protect myself. Yeah. We should do. Yeah. I'm gonna give it time, but I have to say my initial feeling isn't good. And I actually felt it this morning when I was just doing my morning meditation. I was like checking my energy, checking my boundaries, my grounding, my connection, and I could feel something kind of closing in, like a darkness. And I thought, ah, oh, it's because we're gonna do this today. And I I said, like, you're not allowed to come in until I sit down to record. And I'm kind of feeling that darkness creep back in. But I want, I want to get through that. I don't want to... It may just be how he's presenting. It may not be the core of what's still alive. I'm actually seeing him be brought forward, though, with two people by his side. Like, he's come from a prison or something. Mm. Um, is that on Earth or is that here? I feel like that's in, in spirit. Yeah, that's what I meant. In spirit. <laughs> is that on Earth or is it here? <laughs> here in this room. Um, yeah, two what I would call police officers, you know, bringing him forward. They're, are they angels or they're like what kind of beings are with him? The way I'm seeing it is more literal, like they would be police officers, not like light beings. But I think that's just to show me, because I see chains, it's like showing that, okay, there's some kind of. I don't like the word punishment, but there's, there's something that happens that we would see in this world as the equivalent of prison. I feel a very empty person. And I've heard that before from other people that when they've worked with like a psychopath in real life, there's just, it's just like a black hole energetically. Why is that? I feel like it could be that they're actually just possessed by something else or there's just no light left or the, the dark has just consumed the light. For the things that he did on earth, was there some type of sacred contract agreement to do those things? Let's have a look. Very sensitive subject because I don't want anyone for it to be like, those people deserve to be tortured. but. I don't know. I think maybe there are contracts that exist for people to do bad things. Otherwise, we don't learn. It's all a huge, what is it, like Stage. tapestry, right? Yeah. And who knows like what the yeah. purpose of any of it is, but everything kind of seems to have its place. Mm-hmm. Souls love to die in many different ways. Yeah. I mean, humans don't. Souls do. For a greater purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll have a look at that. 
it's kind of hard not to zoom out and just look at the entire Nazi regime and be like, was that meant to happen or not? Because Joseph himself isn't saying anything to me and I'm wondering if he's not allowed to speak, but then I don't know why he would be brought forward by them if he's not, but with spirit, like they still have free will and I can't force them to say anything. But if nothing comes through, I'll see if there's like a spokesperson that will be willing to... You miss himself? Potentially, yeah. What's he doing? Like he's just standing there or is he? does he look ashamed? Is he defiant? I see him being held by each arm. And he's kind of got his head forward. He's not... It doesn't really feel like he's focusing his gaze on anything, though. But I see him leaning forward. I don't know what that's about. Let me see if I can speak to the people that are with him. Yeah. I'm hearing that he's incarcerated. I asked for how long. So, since he came here. So since he died. Getting the feeling that people or spirits need a lot of time of contemplation before they even begin unpicking what they did in life. So I think for someone who's lived a fairly average life, maybe, you know, made a few mistakes and not proud of everything they've done, they can quite quickly meet with their guides and be shown like, this wasn't that good or this was great, but this much, if you hold up a mirror, like, you're not going to see anything or it's just not appropriate in that moment. What does his incarceration look like? It feels like it's in isolation, but I do see like light beings kind of coming and going, whether it would be his personal guide or um, maybe other people in his soul group that it almost feels like stepping forward to see if they'll have a reaction it's like um are you ready you know and then it's like yes or no and then if they're not then they just leave but it feels like once in a while someone will go in to check and see if anything in their spirit has shifted from just being in isolation and contemplation but with that i do feel on that side like there is just eternal patience. There's no there's no pressuring. And it's not like incarceration, like they come in and slap them around, like what a jail would be like here. It's more just here's some space for you to reflect. Yeah, I mean, I just would imagine that it's like a kind of a loving incarceration. Well, all these prison references, I think, are just for us to understand yeah. the concept as humans. Because I don't know if we could understand the concept on the other side. No. Yeah. I mean, I've had it explained to me in several different ways, and it's 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 really interesting. I mean, yeah. even, yeah. Any, any what way. have they said to you? Um, there's a couple of ways of going about it. Some souls and guides agree to actually have, like people who have done really bad deeds on huge populations, they actually have these people come down, and it's usually quite a bit later, in life and they have to experience what they've experienced they gave the experience to others does that make sense so they so they would be the victim this next time mm. that kind of thing um it's all for a soul's growth but it's for him to balance out what he did and and it will take not just one time of being the victim it'll take sometimes up to hundreds of times being the victim yeah. which is i guess what we now would call karma yeah yeah interesting i just wonder how long it takes for them to come back and Lift that. I guess Hitler wasn't even allowed to come back for a while, or if ever, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but it, it totally makes sense that, yeah, you would experience the opposite. Yeah. Because how else are you really going to learn the pain of what you caused? The one interview, and I think you listened to it too, about when they talked to Hitler, wasn't it something like he stepped, he put his hand up and volunteered to play that role. Mm -hmm. And it still was a lot of damage and he had to spend a lot of time in isolation, like just processing what he'd done, but that he'd actually like gone into it knowing that he was going to be doing this terrible role, but volunteered. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. That's usually the case. 
Yeah, yeah. so I'm wondering if it's the same with him. Like, I, I guess that's a question I have. Does everybody who commits these things, have they agreed in advance to do that? Or do they just kind of fall off track somehow? My initial feeling is that there's both. I think there are some people who need to challenge humanity so that we can grow. Like if there's no push and pull, like then nothing's going to rupture and then be able to be repaired. But I also think there are souls who do just go off track. Like they they come to learn lesson of, um, what's the opposite of greed? Generosity? Yeah, say. But they just, they fall prey to... Greed. The greed still right. like they, they you know you say like oh, i'm gonna do this good deed and then they just don't because just that human nature or whatever like mine 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 yeah hmm so is there anyone there who can give us some information about him if he can't let's see if his guide will step forward i wonder how hard that would be to watch your the person you're guiding do such horrible things it's interesting i feel his guide kind of putting his hand on his shoulder and saying brother. So it's like they're, they're still care for him. There's still, I guess, unconditional love for a being, even if they've done terrible things. It's just, there's no, there's no shaming. I think because they know that shame doesn't get people to change anything. It's like, I'll keep loving you until you look at yourself. The shame usually makes it worse. Mm-hmm. When he died, did he feel like so many people, when you hear about their deaths and they speak about feeling love and light and all that wonderful things, did he experience any of that? I feel that he was still greeted by people, but it's this sense of, I'm trying to compare it to something we would know, um, almost like an intervention. Imagine you, maybe you're an addict in this life and you walk into a house and you see all your family sitting there and maybe a few strangers and you're like, fuck. And there's no way out. You can't walk back out the door. But everyone's looking at you with complete love because they care about you. Mm. But there's this feeling like we're here, but you can't come with us right now. You have to go somewhere else. So there's this feeling of support there's no um, isolate. I mean, he's in isolation, but it's not. Everything's just not in a horrible way, as mm -hmm. we would experience it here. It's kind of like there's a tribe down in South America. Uh, they do something called the continuum, and it's where when somebody gets in trouble or steals something, maybe like steals a, a boat or something. Um, instead of surrounding the person with negativity and anger and all that stuff, they surround him with love. They actually surround the person, put him in the middle, tell him everything that's great about him. Mm -hmm. Is it similar to that? I don't see it being as literal as telling him what's great about him, but I think it's just kind of beaming energy of, we are here to hold, but we're not here to do the work for you. Oh, okay. And hearing you say that, it's like, you know, when you meet someone with love when they've done something bad, oof, the amount of the person that did the crime is going to have to feel is just so much. But I think there's only so long on that side that you can avoid the love. Like, it, it feels like this tension and bit by bit, like I said, you know, it feels like he's kind of in a cell and sometimes people walk in just to check on him and like give him love. Bit by bit, hopefully he'll soften and soften and soften and then be ready to... It's almost like that darkness around him will like melt away and then the rawness will be exposed and he'll then be willing to look. What caused him to do such atrocious things? Kind of hearing it, it wasn't his first life being a bad person. And this guy that's with him calling him brother, it's this feeling of we've tried and we've tried. And we've given him lots of chances, but he hasn't been able to really shift. Can they tell you what a previous life or lives might have been? It's interesting. I'm seeing a woman, and I don't know if this woman's actually him, kind of cowering in a corner, and there's definitely violence involved. And there's like stone walls. And it's this energy of like keeping a woman captive. 
but it feels more of a dynamic where it's just about two people. It's not like a mass thing. It's like there's this rage or just darkness that consumes him. And even when people try to show him love, it's just not, it just like doesn't get through mm. in his earthly lives. What do we know about his life, like his childhood in this one? Um, he's very ambitious. So he studied to become a doctor. Um, he's pretty wealthy, like his family had a forge or something like that. So in the small town that he's from, like they were kind of at the top of society. So he was able to go and study a lot. And I think he tried really hard to be like a legitimate scientist. People say that his earlier papers and stuff were very like driven by the scientific method. Mm -hmm. But then later it switched and became very much dominated by um, what's it called? Like theories on race, racial ideologies. And then he started like not using science and being like mm -hmm. they trying to support kind of like what they do now. It's like we have this idea. And so how can I support that through this paper to make this justified? But they say he was very ambitious, so I could see how that would translate. It's a feeling of um, power. You get overtaken by power. Mm. The egoic. It starts off as ambition, which is, wow, that's cool. You want to do something, change something. But then there's a point where it turns and becomes dark. Yeah, they, they wonder sort of what radicalized him mm. because he wasn't like that before. Like those early papers don't mention anything, even though he did study. Like one of his papers was about being able to tell someone's race just from their jawbone. But it wasn't, there was none of that language as in like this person's better or worse because of that. That came later. Okay. Um, so is there any indication as to what radicalized him? I feel this is where the Nazi regime comes in. It comes back to the power. It's almost like he's gifted something. Like, ah, oh, this is interesting. You know, we have subjects for you, or we have these theories too, and we'd love for you to prove them for us. So it's like him being offered an opportunity that suits his ambition. And instead of seeing the darkness underneath it, he just kind of goes with it. Was he offered any, like, high rankings or money? It feels like it would have been more of a, a steady climb. I don't know if that's true that we know what happened in life, but it's not like suddenly you're the highest ranking doctor or surgeon in the Nazi regime and you're going to be working here. It's like just bit by bit. Same with how the Nazis came into power. Like, they, they rose to power over how many, over many years, like a decade or whatever. And he kind of went along. I mean, that's pretty much that. what happened. He was like, first he was, you know, he signed up with this group and then this group and then this, and then he went here and there and there. There's a lot of talk about he had this mentor and they kind of think that maybe it was him. He had these ideas, this guy, and then he was very influenced by him. And even when he was at Auschwitz doing all these things, like when Jewish specialists, like pathologists would come on the trains, he'd grab them and be like, okay, come here, and you're going to prepare slides for me. And he would, like, you know, kill children, or he was really into, interested in people with two different colored eyes, and he would, like, take out their eyeballs but and, like, send them to, to Munich to be studied. So it's kind of like he was someone's lackey, and he was furthering this research. And I just see it as he just not even... He just already believed that Jewish people are lesser than and deserve to die. And so, great, there's so many of them. I could do all this research, and I'm going to send it off to this guy, and then that guy's going to pat me on the back and mm -hmm. um, look at the, this great stuff I'm doing for humanity. I'm sure it was, like, twisted that way in his mind. Because it doesn't feel like he's so dark and psychopathic that he would have done that to his own people. It's like, oh, here's a group that we've now made, like, dehumanized or whatever, Therefore, it's okay. It's like, you know, how people test on mice and rabbits and stuff now. It's like, they're not, they're not the same as us. They won't feel it. So he numbed himself from doing these terrible things with an ideology. Is that what he did? And I feel that's what anyone who was part of this regime is indoctrination. And it, it gave him 
a space to like move forward with his ambitious nature. So what is that called? Um, psychosis? Mass psychosis. So like what we just experienced with um, COVID, uh, we had a mass psychosis of people, you know, if you're not doing the same thing as them, as in getting vaccinated or not vaccinated, you're considered bad. We don't care if you get, if you die, you know, so like even celebrities are saying, don't help the non-vaccinated in the hospitals. I mean, you have mass psychosis, things that they wouldn't think normally completely change around because of massive fear. Mm. Yeah. And indoctrination. Which is something I saw at the beginning of COVID and I think I said it to someone. I'm like, I, I studied history of, like we've seen this and I don't like to compare two things completely because everything's different. But there are patterns. When Hitler came in, like he started breaking the Treaty of Versailles from the First World War and nobody stopped him. And so it was a slippery slope and he just took and took and took until he had complete control. Why isn't why couldn't that same stuff happen now? Like, you have to stop things earlier before people get too much power. And then it's it's a slow, it's like a slow growing, spreading disease that eats our minds. And I feel like that's what happened during the Nazi regime. It's just, you, be- you believe what you read, you believe what you're told. It's And it starts with just one thing, like, don't let those Jews into movie theaters. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We shouldn't let them in the movie theaters. Oh, well, and now they're not allowed to buy food or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just gets worse and worse. But then you've already bought into the idea. So it's just a little bit extra each time. It almost reminds me, too, of our Atlantis episode where they were very generous and open as a city. Mm -hmm. And then they let sort of these other, I don't know if it was other religions or these other people come in in the the spirit of being open and let everybody do their own thing. And then that grew and became so powerful that in the end, it was led to their downfall. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, when people like Hitler choose to you know, enter the political stage and rise to power, do they actually know? Do they actually have a full goal of what their end result is? Or is it something that just grows? I remember, I think I did an essay on that. I bet it's just one step at a time. And like, yeah. oh, now I'm here. Oh, oh. There's that. Okay. Oh, we can go higher and get more. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Did he have a relationship with Hitler? It feels like it was kind of more removed. I don't necessarily feel like Hitler had anything to do with... It was like, here's the green light, but... Yeah, I think, I mean, from what I've read, I don't think he ever had any direct contact with him. I don't think Hitler really cared. Was he... It was just being done so great, yeah. Was he doing these experiments to please Hitler or for his own? It feels more like it's for his own. Yeah, his own ambition and... and... Did he do anything that was positive and good? (laughs) Good question. Just feels like there's a focus. Tunnel vision. And he sees, like, what he wants to do, what he thinks he wants to prove nothing else exists so he's on the other side right now what is he learning at this moment I'm trying to figure out who's talked to <laughs> where do i not am i going behind i don't feel like he's going to tell me anything himself who's up and who's behind well when i go up it's more like if i were doing a psychic reading or just tuning into like my guides or just source or whatever i would go up behind is more like a spirit or someone mm. who's specifically trying to talk to me Mm. up is more like just channeling from wherever when they're on the other side and they're you know have done these things on earth and there's others do they have any contact with each other like say you know i don't know one of the african dictators that killed a bunch of people do they like have support groups or is it very much he's on his own I see them as being on their own because I asked myself that a minute ago, like, does he connect with Hitler on the other side anyhow? I don't think they do. I don't even know if they're in the same building. Right. Um, So he asked for a transfer to go to Auschwitz and be in the concentration camps. Um, And I think it was sort of the prodding of his, this other man, von... What's his name? Von Verschuer. 
that is the one who he was kind of like his mentor in mm -hmm. studying all these things around race. When he made that application to go work in the camps, like what was he thinking his purpose was at that time? What was the appeal? It feels new and exciting um, and like an opportunity to kind of have more free reign and be at the core of something. Like, like he can, like you say, you know, take people straight off the train. Like he's, he wants to be like getting his hands dirty in the work. Like he wants to be doing it. He's not just the guy on the edge who wants the information. He's like, just so focused that he wants to do all the things. And it feels like, yes, I can go to this place and do that. And was that his own idea or somebody else's? Feels like it would have been somebody else's actually. But instantly then he lit up and was like, yes, that's, I would do that. So this other guy, because I think it's the same mentor who encouraged him. What's, how does he feel about that guy? How does Mengele feel about his mentor? Yeah. Now or? Now or then? The immediate feeling there was like, there's no blame. There's no, it's your fault I was like this. He's like, I, I took this all on myself. Yeah. It's like, if you don't have the strength to stand up to someone and question their beliefs and values and the, and the things they're choosing to do, it's not on that person. Like, you, you still chose to go along with them. Like, as a soul, you'd be like, well, I... You can have compassion for yourself. Like, oh, I didn't see what they were doing. Or I didn't want to admit to myself that I could see what they're doing. But it's not, there's no blame. Well, that's good. At least he's learning something. Yeah. That's always, so many people's first go-to is blame someone else mm -hmm. for their actions, right? I don't think you can do that on the other side. Does no. That? Just an interesting tidbit. So he would get down there when the trains would come in, new load. He would be down there like, okay, I'm taking you, you know, and he would collect all these twins. And, and he would even go on his days off and do the selection and be like, no, not them. They're going to the gas chamber. Whereas a lot of the other doctors that were working there in their memoirs say that that was the worst part for them was going there and having to decide who stays and who dies. And whereas he eagerly, you know, went down there to do it whenever he could. Because he's thinking more about what he would find out from it. Like he, he feels like he genuinely believes there's some kind of like magical difference or there's some genetic there's something he's going to find out that's going to prove that they're not human or whatever. That's what they say a lot of his experimentation. Like the point was to support this idea of um, your genes being the number one. Like, you know, if you're this way and you're, then your kid's going to be the same as you. They wanted that to be true versus like the nurturing, which now actually we know that the genes actually play very little. It's more the environment. But yeah, he really wanted to prove that, I think. And then the stuff with the twins, they also think that maybe part of it was that he was trying to see, like, hey, how can we make twins faster so that we can propagate the Aryan race faster? Mm -hmm. So there's some conspiracy theories out there um, <clears throat> about the Nazis. And um, if you watch it on, like, alien, ancient alien shows or things like that, they'll say, okay, there was a, a treaty between the Nazis and some type of UFO alien type of race, a negative race. Does he, is there a sense of truth to that? Feels like there's only so much that ETs and other races can control what happens on Earth and whether or not there's a race that maybe infiltrated like one person within that party. Like that could have been Hitler. I don't know. And then through that, the energy, the energy goes from that race through Hitler to the other people in the party and spreads through the land. Um, but I don't feel like it's the entire thing and, and, and the people were aliens or anything oh no i don't think they're aliens. okay so that they had co a contract that to... they've yeah mm. as in they were given not weapons but ways to create new engines weapons they had 
They had UFOs that they created that we, we now know they had. Doesn't ring true for me. But did your near-death experience people say about it? Um, nothing. I didn't hear anything about that. So that's just something you've read? Yeah, I don't remember. Did he have close relationships and in his life on Earth? Was he like a normal functioning person within his own social group and family? And then just because he viewed Jews as less than and other people, that, um, that he treated them that way, but otherwise was actually fairly normal? I can see him like being with family or friends and laughing and eating and, and still doing normal things, but his priority feels like it was always his work. Yeah, because he, you know, lived another 30 years after the war in South mm -hmm. America. And so many different people sheltered him. So I always think, well, he must have been like quite likable for them to be willing to do that. But there's something about him I'm feeling from those 30 years when he's in South America that something switches off, like the drive and the ambition just kind of goes. There's no, don't, I don't feel the desire to continue doing those things. It feels very strange though. It's like you've lived a whole life doing that and now you're just like a family man or a, just a regular guy living in a village somewhere, living a normal life. I can almost see him like splashing in a river or, or spending time with his kids and it feels so odd and alien actually it's there like it's like two different people hmm yeah why do you think that is maybe this is what people would call like like borderline personality disorder or just Multiple personality person. yeah there's this just this part of him that also feels energetic and it's the driven ambitious part that is susceptible to all the egoic things like power and greed. But then there's also a very, most of him, I'll say three quarters at least, feels very normal and grounded. But I guess that other quarter just kind of took over yeah, in that like, environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, 30 years is a long time, so I think he, he tried to use his name again after a while. And I think he was also acting as a doctor performing abortions or something and then he realized that that might link him and so then he kind of went and changed his name again because he was like living under his normal name for a while but when he died he had taken over somebody else's identity by then and so they actually had to exhume his body to realize like because then there's all these Nazi hunters that were mm -hmm. like trying to find him and they went over and they I guess got enough information to realize like yeah so a letter was sent to some family saying, oh, by the way, he died. And so they went, found the body, dug him up, and then they, yeah, they know for sure it was him. But it's quite interesting, really. And then there was this whole period after the war where he was in hiding, and he also got captured by the Allies. But they let him go because he didn't have the SS tattoo that a lot of them had. Uh -huh. And so they had him that one time and let him go. And then I think some other thing that came very close, but they didn't realize who he was and he got away with it. So I'm wondering if he ever had maybe not remorse for what he did, but did he ever sort of regret his choices during his life? I feel like this silent contemplation actually started early when he was alive. So after the war and he's free, there's a part of him that kind of, part of his soul that almost goes to sleep and is very unconscious, but it's focusing on, it's, it's very insular, like focusing on what was done, but it never like came through the body as an emotion. But there's a process going on, it's like that feeling I said of, I don't know how exactly I said it, but this feels like something's dead inside, like it's not quite himself, because that part is kind of frozen and... I don't know if this makes any sense. It's really hard to explain. But a part of him's already started the process. It makes sense if he's closed that chapter that he would. You would do this kind of think back on But things. it's not in a conscious way where he's feeling emotions. Oh, uh, okay. It's the happening subconsciously. Workings. Yeah. Mm. 
maybe even in his dreams. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, he could have had very violent dreams and that's where his processing happened. Interesting. Do we have any more questions for like what happens up there? So one thing I've also read about what happens up there and it's through a, um, a medium who, uh, well, anyway, she said that you can go from, and I want to ask if this is what happens to him. Um, each planet in our solar system has different energies and it washes through you. Um, if you go as a soul in the afterlife to these planets to learn and to uh, regenerate your soul after your death, did he do anything like that? Like you go to another... Because each one has its own energy. Soul energetic. race kind of thing. It's yeah. not as in going as an alien to that, but as a soul just to cleanse through that planet. Like going to the spa. It'd be like going to the spa, yeah. Each planet's a different spa. <laughs> um, it does feel very possible. It feels like this continuous opportunity because... The people around you, the souls around you, still want you to change. They want you to grow. So they, they'll keep offering you opportunities and things that you can do. Um, yeah, maybe he's gone to some of them. It's like for cleansing, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's something I read in Ruth Montgomery's books, and she was a, a psychic medium as well. It's like a prison spa. I think they talk about that in the Michael Newton books as well. He talks about that, like you can go after, right after you die and get this like shower of something, divine light that like washes away some of your, yeah. the sticky stuff yeah. you picked up on earth that wasn't maybe so nice. Yeah, I think it would, like it would remove any attachments from you or any, uh, if you've been infiltrated by some kind of other race and you, you know, your soul's, you've dissociated and something else has entered your body. I think it would remove that, but it doesn't negate the fact or stop you from having to face the stuff you did. Has he been in front of anyone yet? Like his... I'm just hearing like the council. Yeah, um, the council. Feels like there's a lot of talks between the council members of what what do we do? And like best ways, like, okay, let's send him to this place. Let's send this person there. Um, has he gone up? There's something about the whole situation that's softening now. I don't see him trapped in this dark room anymore, not wanting to look. So I don't know if maybe he's gone through that and they were just showing me that that happened. Where is he now? I kind of want to say the word nursery. So it's almost like a school system. So you'd, you've been allowed to like re-enter the system, but at a very low level. Back to basics. Hmm. He's in the nursery? Yeah, that's kind of what I felt. Interesting. And to do so, he would have had to have faced his life choices. But now he just feels very plain as a soul. Yeah. Blank slate? I don't know if you can ever purely be a blank slate. Hmm. Because you've done the stuff, you can't... I don't think you really fully get to start again. Like, you still have to come back and you'd be carrying that karma. Yeah. Is he planning to come back to Earth soon? No. Feels like he still has a, a way to go. And I think the nursery reference as well is like there's... You, you kind of have to go back to your ABCs of lessons. Like simple... Universal. Yeah, like your next life will be about... I can't think of a lesson, but just something very generic or... Be kind. Something like that. Maybe, maybe. yeah. And maybe he will have a life that isn't so kind to him so he can learn what that feels like. But also, that something about that feels wrong. It's like, it shouldn't be an eye for an eye. It's not in that sense like it is here. Like, beating someone when they beat someone else doesn't teach them anything. But I certainly don't think he'd come back and have a grand life where he's really happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do think that being a perpetrator and coming back as a victim does teach you yeah. a lot. But I don't know if you like cut off somebody's head and then you have to come back and get your head cut off. It's probably not like that. Mm. Um, but it's, it's very interesting and it, it kind of aligns a lot with the stuff I've read on what goes on in between the lives. 
there's so much that goes on that people don't think about. They're just like, oh, they die and they've got nothing better to do than watch us. Like, they have just a lot to do. Like a soul has so much to learn. They go to schools to study things. They go to other planets. They go to other dimensions. Like there's all sorts of things that they're up to. They're not just waiting for the click of the button to come back. Like, and also what I've been reading for the last like 20 years, every so often I'll hear that we're in a karmic loop and it's almost like a trick to get the soul to come back to earth, to reincarnate. And that there are, that when, after you die, you must go, you must ignore all this other stuff and go past uh, these guardian angels or guides and things like that and go into the source and all that. And, but that's just, to me, that's just so untrue, especially with all the near-death experiences that I've talked to. And um, we are souls that, don't just come right back to Earth. We go to different dimensions, different um, galaxies, different universes. And actually, the universes thing is a little different. That's whole nerves. But um, but yeah, your your next yeah. life may not be back here on this Earth. I think it's hard for the human mind to conceptualize those things, and we can't fully prove it and show someone in front of them what happens. But I just think. Anything could happen. Anything is possible. I mean, if I'm sitting here talking to someone who's dead, why can't anything else exist? Yeah. I know, that must be an interesting feeling. Yeah. Uh, is there any questions? Because this is your kind of, you're curious about this. Is mm -hmm. there anything else you want to ask? I kind of want to know, do they ever actually feel the depth of the pain? Is it like they die and then the pain they've been avoiding, like the remorse and the guilt and the shame switches on and you feel it all? Or do you have to feel the pain run through you of Everybody all the people you've hurt? Yeah, gets the answer to that. That's torture. I mean, you tortured people. Yeah, what is the answer to that? I feel like they do have to feel the pain they caused everyone else. It feels like something kind of runs through them and I can hear like screaming and it's like so piercing sound and that's how it would feel and that's why now in this nursery he feels kind of blank because it's like it because he's felt it all already it's a bit like when you have an emotional hangover like if you spent the, if you think in this life you spent the whole day crying about something and the next day you just feel just completely drained mm. well you can't you have no energy left to feel. So that's how I'm experiencing him right now. Yeah. What kind of soul does he feel like now? So he still feels like a young soul because he can't even master the basic lesson of kindness, which is why he's in nursery. It's like, let's attempt to give you a, a simple life in your next one, maybe. I do feel like he'll get a chance to try again. Whether in between that lesson where he gets a chance to be nice, he has to be treated poorly to drill that into him. Hmm. I'll be curious to find out what his future lives are, but I guess we'll be long dead by then. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> but I do, I do feel that there is... It seems crazy to us to say you should have unconditional love for someone who did such horrific things, but on the other side, it just... They compassion. zoom out so much. The other's love is compassion. It doesn't mean there's full acceptance and, like, that it's okay. And that there's no consequences. Yeah, there are. there are consequences. But nobody's written off. Yeah. I mean, that, that matches what everybody says, right? It's just unconditional love on the other side. And yeah. so, I don't know, hopefully that gives, there is the hope for redemption for anyone. Yeah, I, I believe that on the other side. That if you put in the work, he could evolve, who knows, in like hundreds of thousands of billions of earth years, he could become like a Jesus or, I don't know, if your soul can evolve that much, like, could it? It's the ultimate redemption story. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you for all of this. And it was an interesting topic to explore, I think. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other side is a whole other world, so 
there's so many different avenues to go down. But yeah, we got a little glimpse today, yeah. and maybe we can look at um, the opposite: someone who had an exemplary life and helped many people or saved many people. Yeah, there was one near-death experiencer that had this a very long life before she died, and then came back to Earth after she died. You know, the the Donald down. And she said there's one glimpse of her life that her guides were so unbelievably joyful, like as if all the angels rejoiced. And it was when she was 19 years old and she was working at a nursing home, taking care of elderly um, women who were kind of on their deathbed. But she uh, was very kind to them and just looked after them and said sweet things to them thank them, all of that stuff, and the guides of all of her life, the short period, which was just one year, they were, that was the most greatest thing that she could have ever done. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, showing compassion on earth. Mm -hmm. I could see how that would be. You'd be patted on the back for that one. And you don't have to compare yourself to someone who saves multiple lives. Like, if your lesson was to do this one seemingly small, insignificant thing, and you did it, that's as amazing as someone who had a bigger lesson and they achieved it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's neat from what I've read about when people pass on to the other side. It's like the littlest things make such a difference, and it doesn't matter if it's to thousands of people or if it's just like one person that you affected. Because it's a ripple. It all matters, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We hope that you found this episode beneficial and interesting. So we will say goodbye for now and see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.